I was telling everybody on Wednesday night we used to attend a Bible study and we would do worship and then the guy who was leading it, that was usually his first comment after we did worship. And I'm thinking, okay, we're in trouble. Anyway, we're in First John chapter 1. Boy, we barely got started. And uh, so we're going to cover 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I don't think we're really going to make it into verse 4, actually. First John, beginning with the first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which you have seen Excuse me, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Father, we thank you for this letter. And Lord, it is just packed full of great truths not only to give us a greater understanding of you but to bring us to a place where we become even more like you Lord help us to know you the power of your resurrection the fellowship of your sufferings we'd ask Lord that you would just bring our hearts captive to you this morning And fill us, Lord, again, that we may hear from you. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit that you may speak through me. We we thank you, God, again, for this incredible, incredible book, incredible letter. We thank you for John's ministry and, and for you moving upon his heart, inspiring him to write this. So be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We looked at this last week. I kind of covered part of it. Before I knew it, I looked at the clock, and it was because we are trying to end a little bit early just to kind of keep everybody a little less exposed. That's why the fans are running to, we have good filters and all that good stuff. Um, Just to kind of limit some exposure, although I'm, again, it's great to see everybody out. And, uh, where we kind of left off last week was really in in uh, in verse two, but I'll, I'll just back up a little bit of context. Get into the verse one, where where John declares that which was from the beginning, and this from the beginning could refer to the beginning of the gospel story, um, which actually really begins at the beginning of time. This this phrase that which from the beginning does uh, ring in our ear also what John wrote in in the Gospel of John in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God also this idea of in the beginning um, 
is given to us in the book of Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and also in Mark 1, where it talked about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, John is here right at the very beginning saying that he was a first-hand witness to the ministry of Jesus, that which they heard, they've seen with their eyes, which we've looked upon, with our, our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. Another reference really to Jesus as well, being the word of life, and this life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father. So now John shifts gears just a little bit and refers to Jesus as the eternal life. The eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. So not only does Jesus come that we might have life and that more abundantly, which we looked at last week, not only is he the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except for by him, but he himself is the giver of eternal life, and he is also the one who possesses eternal life. He is the substance of eternal life. He is the giver of eternal life. So what does that mean? In essence, what that tells us is that he is giving us of himself. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. I mean, I, I got saved a long time ago. Um, back before the internet. Cell phones and all that stuff. I, and, and, and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and I, don't, I don't know that I really fully understood the, the depth of that. Do we as Christians think about the depth of our eternal life? Is this thing that is not only something that we've been given where we will live forever, but it is an impartation from the creator of the universe directly to you. He is given to you of himself. Let that sink. Just a minute. He's given to you of himself. That tells me that we're all on the winning team. Thank God for that. And Paul understood that because he said that as Christians, if we are among, we are, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we would be among all men most miserable in this life. But this idea of eternal life, it's not this impersonal quality, not just this impersonal quality that comes from the Father, but it refers to the word of life, the Son of God, uh, who was with the Father prior to incarnation prior to his incarnation. And what I mean, what do I mean by incarnation? You guys, I think, all know this, where Jesus is God come in the flesh. Divinity becomes human. How does that work? Well, we're, we're told about it in the Gospel of Luke where the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and, and Mary becomes impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That's why the virgin birth is so important. But how does that all fit together? I don't know exactly sure, and I'm not so sure that we're ever really going to totally fully understand it. But what I, these are things that I look at, and I'm like, God declares it, therefore I either have to accept it, or I have to reject it. So I accept it based on faith. Because the Bible declares 
the divinity of Jesus Christ in a number of places. Now, John writes, remember I talked about this last week, John writes this book specifically because he is targeting um, heresy. Early in the church, heresy happened. Remember I said last week, everybody wants to get back to the early church so you can get back with the early heretics? That's basically it. I mean, uh, to me, that's, that's such a straw man type of argument. You know, we, we are in the 21st century, whether we like it or not. I know some of us don't, but that's okay too, right? Here we are. We are here for such a time as this. John is writing this letter because of the heresy that believed that Jesus didn't really come in human flesh. That was one of the the ideas that John is trying to combat and trying to to address here in this particular book. We'll see that addressed more directly later in this book. But notice, I've seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. Concerning the word of life, the eternal life, which was with the Father, was made known to us, manifest to us. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. That's why he's saying this, that you may have fellowship with us, not with the false teachers. That's the context of what he's saying here. Notice he talks about fellowship with him before he talks about fellowship with God. You find that in? I found that to be really interesting. But what he's saying to them, he, he, he's saying to them very, some, something very similar. And yes, I'm implying this, and yes, their mileage may vary, and if you disagree with me, I don't care. But, but I think what he's saying here is something very similar to what Paul was saying to the Galatians when he said that if someone comes and he teaches to you another gospel, let him be accursed. So he, he's dividing lines here. Now, we'll, we'll see in, the, in, in, this, in this letter, we're also, later on, we're also encouraged to be people of love. And sometimes I think, and we talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday night, and we talked about speaking the truth and love. Sometimes we speak the truth, but we don't do it very lovingly. Or sometimes we speak very lovingly at the expense of the truth. And I don't know if you guys, ladies that were, there with us on Wednesday night. I don't know if you gave that much thought through the week, but I was thinking about that, and that's a very delicate balance to speak the truth in love. And so we will talk about loving people a little bit later in this book and the importance of loving people and, and the fact that, that if we love, that is an earmark, that is a marker that, in fact, we have passed from light Excuse me, from darkness to light, from, from death to life. But we also have to hold that in the context of truth. John talked about this in his gospel again, talking about full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And sometimes we're very gracious at the expense of truth, and sometimes we are very ungracious because we want to just hold fast to the truth. And, and I think it's important for us to remember as well is that Jesus is a whole lot more gracious than you and I are. Jesus is a whole lot more gracious than you and I are. And if we are really modeling ourselves to become like him, 
these are the things that we need to recognize that we can submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit that he may further do a transforming work in us. I think part of the reason why that we don't, we, we, at times we stop growing spiritually, where we stop growing and we, we, we stop becoming less like Jesus, and I don't know why I'm going here, but I am, so I'm going to keep going with this thought. But I think part of why we stop growing in the faith, and what I mean by that, growing to be more like Jesus, I don't care how many Bible verses you know, by the way. Are you Christ-like? And I think part of the reason why we stop that from time to time is that we fail to recognize our own carnality. We fail to recognize our own carnality. In other words, we think we're doing okay. Because we don't, we don't smoke, and we don't drink, and we don't dance, and we don't chew, and we don't go with girls who do, right? I love that phrase. Anyway. And we think we have all these externals dealt with, but, but, but the Lord is desiring through the work of the Holy Spirit to do a deeper, deeper, deeper work. And it just seems that what just when it seems like he has plunged the depth of who you are, you realize that he's probably just scratched the surface. That's a hard one to, to really think through, though, isn't it? And there are times, and I've only been a Christian for a few years, right? And it's like, I'm never going to get there. It's frustrating at times. It's like, I'm never going to get there. You know, I still want to, I won't even tell you the things I want to do. You probably won't come back. But anyway, I, I, you know, I still have those struggles. And if I have them, that tells me that you do too. But he is the word of life. He is the eternal life. That which John the Apostle has seen and has heard, he's declaring not only to his readers initially who initially read this letter, but he's de- and I think it was Ephesus, by the way, where he wrote this letter, uh, he's declaring it to us so that we might have fellowship with him because his fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. That's what I want to talk about this morning for a few minutes. That's such a nice Christian word, isn't it? Hey, let's go fellowship. Or where do you fellowship? Oh, poor Billy Bob. He's out of fellowship, right? I mean, we throw it around. It's a very Christianese type of word. I mean, how many times do you go to um, wherever you go? Okay, Um do, do they talk about, hey, let's get together in fellowship? They don't, we don't, that's not a common word today, is it? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does fellowship mean? It's the Greek word koinonia. I think I've said that several times, starting with a K. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, I think. Pretty sure. English spelling of the Greek word. Make sure you're right in italics. I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, Phil? Thank you. What does it mean? I've shared this with you before, but part of the idea of koinonia is the act of sharing. We see it in the book of Acts chapter 
2, verse 42, which is still on the bulletin. I love that verse. They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and then to fellowship. What does that mean? They had potlucks after church? Have they talked about football? Or baseball or whatever the case may be? And we all have very different views of what fellowship is. I find it fascinating, but also because the Bible does. So we're doing a little bit of a word study this morning. The usage and the definition in the Greek can also refer to this oneness in community. Oneness or wholeness. Now don't think um, Pentecostal oneness. Don't think that. All right, but oneness, being one, being being a, 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 of of uh, of the same mind, which Paul talks about. Oneness of community, having something in common, or or having a common participation or a sharing in something. Some of you put, partook this morning in the fellowship of the radishes. You had a common participation in something, didn't you? And when you go home and eat them, you will further partake and 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 have fellowship and and uh, thank you for that by the way, but that's part of what fellowship means. And 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 so there is a like I said, there's various definitions to this word, various usages of this word, but some of it could even refer to this idea of socializing. And I think, and you guys know this about me, I think that there is value in at times simply just being together. And, and you have that, that sense of fellowship. Why? Because you have a oneness of community and you have a common, <clears throat> a common participation or sharing in something. You have a common goal. You have a common belief system. John only uses this word four times, actually, in this whole in all of his writings, is actually found here in this first chapter. But what he is doing at the very beginning of this letter is he is declaring to those who are reading this that that there is a fellowship, there is a communion, there is a oneness, there is a shared uh, sense of mission, there is a shared sense of belonging to the word of life, which refers to the son, but there is this sense of fellowship with John based on the gospel that he has preached, and the gospel that he has preached is about Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, and resurrected. So we, 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 we see this usage of the word koinonia, again, as I already uh, said, in, in kind of different ways in the New Testament. Uh, but first of all, and I'm, I'm going to throw some verses out to you. Uh, it, it's a commitment to a common task based on a common belief. 
First way to define fellowship, it is a commitment to a common task based on a common belief. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. And I don't have these marked, so I'm going to turn to them just like you would. So um, it might take me a second to find it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. So Paul is telling his story of how he had received uh, the gospel. And then his his earlier years, actually talks about his earlier years. And even uh, it says in verse 1, uh, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. So he's been a Christian for about 14 years at this particular time. He's finally going to Jerusalem, and he finally meets um, Peter and James and John. And so in verse 9, it says, And when James and Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they should and they to the circumcised. So what is going on here that Paul is describing is that he met with John, excuse, John and James and Peter. Uh, and by the way, this is not James, the original apostle. This is referring to, I believe, to James, the brother of Jesus. And if I I must say it for some of you, the half-brother, but that's okay anyway. Anyway, because James uh, took over essentially his brother's role at some point and and oversaw the church in Jerusalem. But Peter and Barnabas meet with them and they share with them how they had received the gospel. And and obviously, and it it doesn't say this, but it very strongly implies it, uh, John, James, and, and Peter said, well, obviously, you've been given the same gospel that we have. And so, therefore, they extended to them the right hand of fellowship. Uh, that is, there was a sense, a, a commitment to a common task based on a common belief. A commitment to a common task based on a common belief. These guys are all apostles, all right? Now, I'm, I'm not going to get into the 12 or 13 or but we do we do see these guys listed in the scripture as apostles and they were given an apostolic mission an apostolic calling to go forth and declare the gospel the three in Jerusalem to those who were Jews Paul and and Barnabas to those who were Gentiles so they had this common task based on a common belief um second of all what you have in in the bible is you have, a, and by the way, I have, I have several more verses, but for the sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to jump uh, into them. You'll, you'll see this also in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, if you want to jot that down. And one, well, I, I can't help but to look at um, Philippians 3. I referred to it briefly just a bit ago. Philippians 3, verse 10. Paul, I got to back up to verse 9. It says, and, and, I got to back up to verse 8. I'm sorry. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul is ta- uh, speaking. He says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. By the way, that's very cleaned up in the English. It means something else in the Greek, but I'm not going to go there with you this morning. It's the stuff that hits the, the fan. Okay, that's what he's really saying. 
uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which through faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he's talking about the righteousness from God by faith. And then he goes on and he says in verse 10 that I may know him the power of his resurrection, and boy, people just love that verse, and I do too. Then he flips it on the side, and he says, and the fellowship or the sharing or the common uh, commitment based on a common doctrine, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul not only wanted to embrace the power of the resurrection, but he was willing to embrace the fellowship of the sharing of the, 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 the common commitment based on a common doctrine with the sufferings of Christ. And if you read his dossier, if you want to call it that, in 2 Corinthians, he suffered greatly for the cause of the gospel. Greatly for the cause of the gospel. And, and the, the life that he lived, it's... How else do I, I mean, he's a super Christian. Just the, the willingness and the faithfulness and the commitment and, and the suffering. You know, he, get, he gets stoned in Lystra. That is, they threw rocks at him, right? And then he gets up and goes back into the town and preaches again. You know, and I would have been like, I'm leaving, you know. I would have wiped off the dust and away I go, you know. But he had that sense of commitment, that common commitment based on a common belief. But it's also a personal relationship, a personal relationship that doesn't necessarily imply as much a, a common task. We see that in Acts 2.42 where it's, it's a narrative description of, of the early church where they, they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and then to fellowship, uh, breaking of bread, and that can mean many different things, uh, and to prayer. They spent time together. They met on Solomon's porch in the temple. They met in 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 houses uh, around the city of Jerusalem. And, and uh, they had this common uh, personal relationship with each other. And, I, and I, I, again, I tend to believe because they didn't walk around with these, right? They didn't walk around with the Bible like this. They had scrolls, you know, big things, that, you know, and they probably didn't, weren't able to carry those everywhere they went, And sometimes they probably just got together and shared their life together, shared meals together, prayed together. Maybe had an encouragement from the scriptures and then they went their ways. But there was this personal relationship that we have. It was interesting is that Paul uses the same term in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We won't take the time to turn there. Where he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship does light have with darkness? Which is interesting because we'll get into light and darkness very soon, probably next week in this particular uh, letter by John. So fellowship can be this common commitment based on a common belief, but it can also be a personal relationship that, uh, that may or may not imply a commitment to a common task or a common cause. Thirdly, 
Fellowship is sharing financially with people in need. We see this in Romans 15. Verse 26. Some of you who have to type in both chapter and verse. You're, you're training me though. For it pleads, uh, and just I'm going to pull one verse out of this, and I hate doing it like this, but we're running low on time. But it says, um, Paul is, is summing up his letter to the Romans, and, and he says in verse 26, For it pleased those in Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So you had the, the saints that were in, in the, the uh, uh, mass area of Macedonia, so they're also in Europe, and, and uh, they, they get together and they make a contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. That word contribution is, is a form of the Greek word koinonia. Same idea. This contribution or this idea of sharing. We see this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. So thirdly is the sharing financially with people in need. And then fourthly, fellowship is with other believers and with the Lord at the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Boy, I got really scared for a moment because I just got dyslexic on me and I went to 1 Corinthians 16.10 going, that's not it. Okay, I'm back. 1 Corinthians 10.16. Paul is talking about communion. And he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion or koinonia? Of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break. Is it not the communion. Or koinonia. Or fellowship. Of the body of Christ. I, I, as I think about this. When we think about these other, other terms. That we've, we've looked at this morning. Regarding what fellowship is. Fellowship is what we do when we gather and we break the bread and drink of the cup, where we partake of the body of Christ, when we drink of the blood of Christ. And, and there's this, this spiritual fellowship that goes on with each other, but more importantly, there's a spiritual fellowship that goes on between you and the Lord Jesus Christ as we partake of his body, as we drink of his blood. Now, if you think about that, that circles us back around to not only is he the giver of eternal life, but he personifies what eternal life really is. Does that make sense? And so there's this incredible fullness that we have with the God of the universe that, that you know, um, all of a sudden my circuit just blew because this is just too 
too broad for me. This is just too wonderful for me. But there's this incredible relationship that we have with the God of the universe who not only imparts things to you, but he imparts himself to you. And I don't think that describes it well. But he imparts who he is. He's the giver of eternal life, but he is life eternal as well. We have fellowship with him when we partake of the body, when we drink of the blood. And it's spiritual. And no, I don't believe in the Catholic doctrine on this, all right? But there's something very, very, very special when we gather to partake of the body and drink of the blood. It's an incredibly holy moment of which we are remembering the body broken. We are remembering the, the blood shed. We are remembering he who said that I, did, I come that um, no one takes my life from me. I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to raise it up again. And that involves the two elements of the, of the, of the bread and of the, of the cup, of the body, of the blood. He had the power to lay his life down. No one took his life from him. But he gives to us himself. And so within the context of what we see here in, in 1 John 3, that our, uh, we declare this to you that you may have fellowship with us. Personal relationship, commitment to a common task based on a common belief. Sharing financially with people in need and fellowship with other believers and with the Lord at the Lord's table. That you may have fellowship with us and truly, he's like saying, don't forget here, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, it clarifies to some degree the nature of this common fellowship uh, in, in the sense that we are participating in something. And the immediate context, I've already touched on this several times, so I feel like I'm repeating myself, but the immediate context here in this passage here in First John, these first four verses, three verses I should say, is what? Eternal life. The common commitment to a common cause, the personal relationship, the giving to those in need, and the coming together and to, to, uh, to break the body and to drink of the blood it is based on the fellowship that we have with him because we have eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you see the incredible fullness of this. Because we have this fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. And it results in our faith in Jesus Christ, his Son, and what he has done for us. 
and so in that regard, what John is saying here is, is that this fellowship, this faith that we have is inseparable also from the internal life that we do have. So to have eternal life is to have fellowship. Right? So I'm giving you a fifth definition here. To have fellowship is to have eternal life. And to have eternal life is to have fellowship. And that's really what John is talking about here, particularly in the context where he is addressing false doctrine about who Jesus is. Because if you mess with what the Bible declares who Jesus is, then you're messing with the gospel. And you're preaching another gospel. And he's holding fast to the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude talked about. And then briefly, he writes these things, and we'll get into verse 4, that your joy may be full. Now, I spent some time this morning unpacking what this fellowship with John and truly his fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. I spent some time unpacking that and giving you examples from the Bible of what that means. And I hope that as you give these things greater thought that you pray through these things and ask the Spirit to further reveal these things to you that in a spiritual forward slash mental uh, and, and uh, mental understanding of these things to a greater degree that it would bring you great joy that it would bring you great joy. It's really what this whole book is about. I'm writing these things to you so that your joy might be full. To recognize the incredible gift that you and I have been given when we became Christians, when we said yes to Jesus. It's an incredible gift. My personal belief is that no one can take that out of your, take that away from you. Jesus says you can't, no one can pluck you out of my hand. My father who is greater than I has you in his hand as well and no one can pluck you out of his hand. That sounds pretty secure to me. So I trust in that. And I fellowship around that. And I allow the understanding of eternal life to inform my fellowship in such a way that I am more able to say, search me, O God. I'm going back to where I started, remember? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my ways to see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting.
And it was like, continue with the journey. Continue with the journey. And that's my hope and my prayer for each of you. And in doing so, your joy will be full. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, this is so, there's such a depth to this. We thank you, Lord, for your just incredible letters that you have written to us. We, we recognize John, the human author, but we recognize the Holy Spirit as a spiritual author. And this really comes from you to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our most holy faith, that we would recognize the eternal life that dwells in us and the eternal life that has been given to us. Lord, continue to do that work in us, through us, and around us. We pray, Lord, for for those that are leaving this next week and ask, Lord, that you would give them a safe trip, give them a blessed time, return them home safely. Lord, we ask that you would just be with us by your Holy Spirit this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.